Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. How many of us have ever been in trouble? Man, when you're a teenager and you've got to go home, wow, got to tell mom and dad. Well, that was never a fun time. But according to Hebrews chapter 4, the very end of it, when we mess up and we're coming to our Savior, it's a throne of grace. Today, I want to talk to you about that wonderful throne of grace that our God, our Father, has for us. I hope you'll give a listen. God, I'm hurting, and today, God, I'm struggling. So, you ever had that thought? But then, flipping your Bibles real quick to to the 23rd Psalm and listen to this. Listen to Psalm 23. This is a very personal Psalm. So he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How can they be true, both of them? How can on the one hand, I'm going, God, I need you. God, do you hear me? God, do you understand what I feel? And yet I read in your word that you're my shepherd. You're going to lead me beside the green pastures and you're going to lead me beside the still waters and you're going to make my cup to overflow. But God, right now, my cup's not overflowing. My cup seems to be empty and I'm struggling. God, how? You ever had this thought? I don't understand how you, God, could understand where I'm at. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to answer that question. Hebrews chapter 4. And last week we talked about being in that rest and some of you, man, this week and some of the messages I've received that, that God used that and I'm so thankful. Rest is something that we need. To come along and set aside and rest in Jesus. And so he tells us all that. And some of you, I know this because we talked about it this week. You said, we're talking about that rest, but I don't understand how God can say he can give me that rest when how is it? Here's that question again. How is it he knows what I'm feeling? He's God and I'm not. 
Let's stand at the reading of God's word. You guys, are, you make fun of me at times. Because when, whenever we get to a therefore in Scripture, and I'm going to say therefore is there for a reason. We find that funny, and you laugh at me, and you mock me, and that's okay. But it is so vitally true. He doesn't say therefore whoever the writer is of Hebrews. But in this passage, he says since then. I don't know if you write in your Bibles, but it's okay if you do, and I would encourage you to. You ought to circle that. He's talked all this about rest, and he's talked all about how we have covenant rest and, and creation rest and Calvary rest. And then he says this, since then, since we have that, let me tell you how we can have that. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our, fast our confession. Here it is. Listen. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. There it is. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, translated another therefore, with confidence, Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Father, show Yourself as our great high priest today. Speak, Lord. Strengthen us, encourage us, exhort us, and move us in mighty passion. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. How in the world could he do all of Psalm 23? How? How can he be our shepherd that we're not going to want? How could he lead us to the still waters? How can he give us this? How can he do it if he doesn't know us? Even a step further, how could he do it if he didn't understand us? See, some of us here today, we don't think He knows us and we don't think He understands us. That is totally unbiblical. See, some think this, they have this thought, man, that He's some impersonal God that's just out there that just sort of got the ball rolling and then He just sort of hands off. I want you to know that is completely false and alive. He wants to intimately know you. He wants to intimately help you and keep you and strengthen you and give you what you need. Because he's walked that path. And he understands. Two points today. The first one is this. We have a great high priest. We have a great high priest. Now the priest of the Old Testament, what they would do is this. They would go in, the high priest, once a year, the Day of Atonement, they would go into the Holy of Holies and they would carry a blood sacrifice to sprinkle on the mercy seat, to, to appease the wrath of God. And to do that, they had to go through three doors. They, they would go through let me make sure I the door of the outer court to get in. They would go into the door, into the holy place. And then they would go through this door that was the veil of the Holy of Holies 
to go in one day to sprinkle the blood of a sacrificial lamb on the mercy seat. Our high priest is so much greater. Let me, let me walk with you through the scriptures of Hebrews to show you just, it's like he builds this crescendo. I told him in the early morning, there was two possibilities for uh, this series. I, I've entitled this series Faithful, but I almost entitled it Our Great High Priest because that's what he is. Look at this. In Hebrews chapter 1, in that very first, the very first uh, four verses there, in the middle in verse 3, it says, after making purification of sins, Four sins, excuse me. That speaks of the duty of a priest. In other words, what the writer of Hebrews is saying there, right off the jump, is that God the Son, Jesus Christ, is a priest. Then we go on to Hebrews chapter 2, and we come over here to verse 17. At the very end, he says this, a merciful and faithful high priest. And then we get over to chapter 3, and we look at verse, verse 1. He says, he is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. And then it's like this crescendo up, and then we get to chapter 4, and he says, here's what I'm really getting at if you haven't understood it. He is the great high priest. And there's reasons that he is the great high priest, and I'm going to cover all those in, as we work through this. But notice, he is our high priest in there at the end, and he says, who has passed through the heavens. That word passed is in the perfect tense. Now, the perfect tense means this. It is an action completed in the past that had relevance for the past, but it also has present tense reality and a future reality. In other words, when he passed through the heavens, he did it once and for all. He wouldn't have to do it again. He never had to come back to be born again. He's never had to come back to be in the womb of another woman. He never had to walk that perfect life again. He never had to go to Calvary again. He did it once, and he went back to the heaven, and he's now at the right hand of the Father. He passed through the heavens. And what did he do when he got there? He sat down. And you say, what's so big about that? Now, I've talked about this before, but in the working area of the temple and tabernacle, where the priest did their ministry of their work, there were no chairs. You see, the priest's work was never done. They were not allowed to sit down on the job. Some of us would get fired today. But they were not allowed because it was a picture of saying that their work was never done. Yet when we read, flip over to, um, let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 real quick. I'm going to start at verse 11. He calls him this again. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his own creation, he entered once for all, underline it, into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. He secured an eternal redemption. Then how in the name of all things precious do we think we can lose that? If He made it, because see, the covenant is nothing about you. It's all about Him and it's all about His blood. It's nothing about you and your works. It's an eternal redemption. Let me go a little bit farther. Now go over to chapter 10. Look down at verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, here's the key, which can never take away sins. 
I told you what, when they would do that in the Day of Atonement, here's what the day he would do. He would take those sins, and as he picked up a rug, he would sort of sweep them all under there, and he would put the rug, and he'd be like, look, nothing. Are the sins gone? No. They're under the rug. He could not do it. Why? We'll look back up at Why could he never do it? Verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, and then verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Well, then why in the world could the blood of Jesus do that very thing? We'll keep reading. But <clears throat> when Christ had offered for all time, circle it, for all time. What does all time mean? Until there's no such thing as time which will never be. It'll go on and on and on. It's really talking about eternity. <coughs> For all time, a single sacrifice. Singular. For sins, He sat down. You know why? Here's a great picture. Remember I said there were no chairs where the priests work? Because they never finished working. When Jesus finished, He sat down because His work was done. Nothing else to add. There's no other death to occur. He didn't need to die a second time. He didn't need to die a third time. Once for all, and He sat down. You want to know where He's at today? He's still sitting right by the Father. He's still sitting right there, and He's just waiting now for the Father to look and say, go bring my children home, and then He'll get up. And bring us home. But until there, till then, he's sitting right there. Because his sacrifice still works. When he shouted to Telestai, paid in full. From that brother Dusty that made his public profession of faith last week, to the oldest person in him that's been saved the longest, his blood still works. To the very person that today is my prayer, that you'll come in just a few minutes when I offer that, come and make that public profession, and you want to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you come, it still works today. Next week I pray that somebody else comes, and next week I pray that somebody else, the blood still works. That's God's position. He is the great high priest. Secondly, I want you to see man's passion. So he makes this statement there. He tells us. He says, since then we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And by the way, that's important there. I don't have time to unpack that. He's called Jesus, the Son of God. He's not called Jesus, the Son of Abraham, like the priest would be called back in the Old Testament because they were all from the progenitive of Abraham, the lineage of Abraham, because they came through Aaron, who was a Levite, who, who they stood for him, and that was who all the priests came through, that lineage... Jesus didn't come from that lineage. He came from Jesus. He came from God. So that's why he's called right there, Jesus, the Son of God. I don't have time to unpack all that. Listen to this. Let us hold fast our confession. Did you catch what it didn't say? Did you catch what it didn't say? It did not say, let us hold fast our salvation. Well, if you could lose your salvation, doesn't it make sense? He would have said, hey, we got this great high priest and he's done all this stuff. You need to hold fast to that salvation so you can get heaven. No, 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 no. He says, let us hold fast our confession. 
See, if, if we're to hold fast our salvation, that would be then we'd have to revise the Bible. And when you got to the story of Noah and the ark, you'd have to drive some nails on the outside of the ark. And then you see old Noah looking at his wife and his three sons and three daughters-in-law say, listen guys, when the water comes, grab hold and hold on for all you got. And we're going to try to make it through this thing. Is that what happened? No, no, no. He got in the ark, didn't he? He, he got in the ark. It won't no holding on on his part. Oh, there were times I'm sure he failed. I mean, come on, man. The ark is doing this number. In all the rain, and all the storm. And then everything else that animals do. That's the best way. I, they fail sometimes, but they fail in the ark. See, some people think, well, if I sin... I'm going to lose my salvation. You tell me how that's biblical and scriptural. Because last time I checked, Noah never fell out, fell out of the ark. Through all the storms, he never fell out. But he says, hold fast. And that's a picture of really grabbing hold to. And you know, it's a picture of digging your nails in like this. You just hold fast to your confession. Hold fast to your statement of faith. Hold fast to that thing that got you there. Hold fast to what you know to be true. Hold fast to who you are now. Well, what makes that? I ain't said this in a while. I'm going to say it again right now. I believe this Bible to be the inerrant, infallible, unchanging, eternal, Powerful Word of God. This is my confession of faith. And I hold fast to this. But as I was thinking about holding fast, if, you, if you're going to hold fast that way, if you're going to really dig in, you're really going to get it, you've got to be passionate about, about it, don't you? I'm not going to hold fast to something I'm not passionate about. If I'm not passionate about it, I don't care about it. But if I'm going to hold fast, I'm going to make sure I'm passionate. Can I ask you a question? What are you passionate about? I'll put money if we went through here today. And I, just, and I got you in a very real, raw moment. We'd get things like this. I'm passionate about my family. I'm passionate about sports. I'm passionate about art. I'm passionate about dance. I'm passionate about fishing and hunting. I'm passionate about this and I'm passionate about that. Can I ask you a question? I didn't say there's anything wrong with those things in and of themselves. But at what point do you become passionate about Jesus? You're, you're being passionate about things that don't matter in the grand scheme of eternity, and that will offend some of you. You're passionate about things that ultimately matter nothing. 
You'll spend your whole life, your whole life, your whole life trying to grab water in your hands, being passionate about these things, about grabbing it and trying to get sand to stay in there and do this, and you give yourself to it, and you're going, I just love to do this, and that's fine and dandy. But there's but one thing. One thing that matters eternally. In about three and a half hours, I'm going to preach the funeral message of my cousin. Here's what I've been asked this week since it's happened. Bless your hearts. <clears throat> where, do you, where do you think she's at, Hank? Her confession to me and in front of this church was that she was a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if it was real, man, she's singing with the angels. She's at the feet. She didn't become an angel. Hello? Don't lower yourself or your loved ones. Well, such having gained another angel. Don't lower your loved one like that. She's a saint at the feet of Jesus. See, this is the part that we don't like to talk about. Because we good Baptists, we think everybody's going to get saved now. We think everybody's going to heaven. If it wasn't real, she's not in heaven. She's in a place called hell. And some of us need to be more passionate about our walk with Jesus so that those we know and love don't go. At the forefront of your discussions with people that you love and you care about. Should you not have the opportunity to talk about Jesus? Well, preacher, I'm afraid if I talk to them, I might push them away. Oh, so you're going to just let them walk to hell without ever making them walk over you. But preacher, they, they may not speak to me anymore if I talk to them about Jesus. So you're willing to let them go to hell without even taking the chance that they might get saved? Why are we not more passionate about the one eternal thing in all the world? Hello? People, we're, we're rabid fans. We call them, they're rabid fans for the Dallas Cowboys. Or they're rabid fans for the Pittsburgh Steelers or this or that. We're rabid fans. Whatever happened to being rabid for Jesus Christ? They might call me a Jesus freak. I hope so. We're called to hold fast to that confession and live it out. If you don't want to open your mouth, how about just living the life so that other people will see it in you? So that they'll say like a moth in the darkness that's drawn to the light, I don't know who you are, but I want what you got. I promise you this. If we were all passionate, we'd fill this place. Let me tell you why. Thursday about 11, 
15 is when I had this thought. This world, crazy. All we want to do is fight. If you, if you don't agree with me fully, completely, then I'm against you and I hate you and you hate me. And we want to just throw people out. Some of you are going to get offended by what I'm about to say. I love you though. I was really thinking and praying this week about people that want to live an alternative lifestyle, transgender. Some of you are already uncomfortable. It's okay. And the like. And I just began to say, Lord, I, I don't understand this, this thing. And here's what he told me. I believe this in, the, in the, my heart. He's what he told me. Son, they're looking for an identity. We're failing them if we don't teach them to find their identity in Jesus. And until we're willing to meet them where they are, hear me, hear me, not condoning it, not affirming it, never, it's against the Word of God, but meeting them where they are, loving them to Jesus, will never make a difference. So we can sit back and we can make fun and we can mock and we can rip and we can yell and we can scream. In the old time, they're going to hell because we were such good Baptists. What are you passionate about? I watched. You guys, I don't know if you've seen it, Jesus Revolution. You know, we're fighting the same battle, right? Anybody seen that movie, Greg Laurie? If you haven't watched it, you ought to watch it. You know what they were fighting in the late 60s? Because some of you guys were there, late 60s, early 70s. You know what they were fighting? The hippie movement. It's the same fight. You know what those guys were looking for? Truth and identity. You know what our young people are looking for today? Truth and identity. And they're not going to go to hell for being transgender. Nor a homosexual. They're going to go to hell because they're a sinner. Hello, you cannot amen that and it's okay. That's biblical fact. And they're going to go because no one loved them enough to put their arm around them and tell them the truth. Preacher, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. That lifestyle is wrong. You know it. I know it. It's wrong. But Jesus loves them. Jesus died for them. And I will passionately go after them. They may yell at me 
and curse me and scream at me that I'm closed-minded and I'm this and I'm that. No, I'm a God that loves Jesus and loves them. And God says, whosoever may come. We're the ones that have put it on the, the closed-mindedness. We're the ones that put it exclusive. We're the ones that put labels on. We're the ones. When what we ought to say is, man, I don't know where you're at in your life, but Jesus Christ will meet you right there. And if Jesus will meet you right there, I'll meet you right there. And love you, never condone, never, never affirm. But I will tell you about Jesus. And find your identity in Him. Not your sexuality. Let me say it again. In case anybody's confused, God made them male and female. And He didn't make a mistake in you. Hello? Every Baptist ought to say amen to that. He did not make a mistake. Hello? And marriage is between a man and a woman. That's biblical, y'all. But you can make that truth without yelling. I love that. And in that movie last night, I love this one statement in it. The truth never yells. Lies will yell. Scream to try to talk over you. The truth doesn't have to scream. Because it's true. And by the way, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you get it? I'm going to ask you this question. What are you passionate about in your life? Let me move on. Some of you guys are squirming. And I just handled that in the most biblical way I could. And I think I handled it in love. He's a great high priest. Let me show you secondly. He sits on a great throne. He sits on a great throne. Man, some of these visitors in here today, y'all ought to see them. What did I walk into? You walked into a man that loves Jesus with all his heart. Look, God, let me... God's mindfulness. Here, here's great right there. Here... For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's God's mindfulness. Remember at the beginning when I asked you if you ever had this thought? God, do you understand where I'm at? God, do you know what I'm going through? God, do you care? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. With our temptations. He sympathizes. But listen, did you know that Jesus, when he went into the went into the wilderness, by the way, Matthew chapter four one says he was he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. He faced the same things that Eve faced. You see, he had to go through all the things that we went through as humans and conquer them and not sin. That's why the Bible says without sin. Eve faced what? Pride of life, lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. Do you know what Jesus faced in the wilderness? The pride of life, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. 
Yet the Bible says he was without sin. That, that little phrase there that says without sin, it is chorus hamartia in the Hebrew. It means completely apart from sin. It means the absolute absence of sin. It means that there is not one granule of one atom of one anything that Jesus had that ever got even close to falling into sin. You see, it could not be that Jesus was never given the opportunity to sin. We needed a Savior that could come and could do everything that we went through and at the same time choose it not one time ever and not even come close to choosing the sin. It showed His purity, His deity, and His holiness. But how does He understand us? Go to Psalm 56. You want to know how much Jesus is mindful of you? How much? This whole psalm, he's talking about, listen, I'm going to skip some. Be gracious to me, O God, for, for man tramples on me. He oppresses me. His enemies trample. They attack me proudly. They, they, they injure my cause. Their thoughts are against me. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life. And here's the response. David writes this, you, have, you kept count of my tossings. He, he, listen to what he says. But God, you kept count of every time I was tossed here and there. Every temptation I walked through, you were right there with me. And then every time I cried myself to sleep or I cried over a friend that betrayed me or I cried over the hurt of somebody that was supposed to be my, my brother or sister and every time I cried, notice what Jesus does and God does. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Every time we hurt and cry, you know, sweet mamas, they'll come along and they'll, they'll come to you. They're, it's okay, sugar. And they'll take their finger and they'll wipe them away. Or if you're a good daddy, you'll do the same. Not Jesus. Jesus will walk to you and he'll take that bottle and he'll put it right there. He'll catch every tear that falls. And he stores them in heaven. Let me tell you a great picture. When people during biblical times would go off to war, when the men would go off to war, their wives would have these little bottles. And every time they thought about their husband that is gone, or the moment they left, they would have that bottle, and they would put it, and they would catch their tears. And they would keep them in that bottle with a little stopper on top. And so when their man came back from battle, if he came back, they could look at him, and they would hand him that bottle of tears to say, look at how much I cried for you while you were gone. And I love you and I care for you. When we get to heaven, I believe the Lord Jesus is going to hand us that bottle and say, I called them all. I knew right what you were going through in that moment. The Holy Spirit gave me the words to these tears. And I walked with you through it. There's not one step on this earth you'll ever make that God's not with you. Not one. There's not one heartache 
you'll have that Almighty God will not say, I've been there. I've been there. I've walked with you, and I've been right where you are. That night that my dad died, I struggled. God, I don't understand. And I asked one of the few times in my life, God, do you even know how much I'm hurting? I told y'all this part of it. I got my dad's Bible out. At 4.30 in the morning that morning, I got my dad's Bible. And I just began to flip through, and I saw his terrible handwriting. I just flipped. And it came to those words when the Son, Jesus, on the cross said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I understood in that moment that God knew what I was going through. As he watched his son die on that cross. He walked the very path that I was walking. And here's all I could say. Then God, I need you to carry me. Because I can't take another step. Can I tell you this? He's faithful. He still has to carry me some days now. That, that wound just gets ripped open every so often. And I just laugh now as I'm crying a lot of days. God, I hope you got your bottle, my bottle back out. Because I got some more tears for you. God is mindful of your hurt. And not one tear falls that he doesn't catch. So if that's God's mindfulness, what about man's mentality? What do we do? Can I, can I tell you all something about last week's sermon? I was really surprised that the altar wasn't full. When I talked about Matthew chapter... Here's, here's man's mentality. Come. Matthew 11, what I talked about last week, and I'm not going to rehash all that, but Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, when Jesus speaking says what? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I don't understand why it wasn't, why this altar wasn't overflowing when we have a Savior in heaven that says, if you'll but come to me, I'll give you rest. When your mentality is, why would you want to carry it when Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, I'll give you mine, you give me yours, and let's walk through this thing called life until I see you face to face. Why in the world, dear ones, will you keep holding on to it? When we have a Savior that will reach out with nail-scarred hands and say, come to me. When you see Him as Lord, you'll be passionate for Him. And you'll want to come to Him. Now let me tell you where you're coming and I'm done. Now the last thing. 
God's mercy and grace. That's what he ends with, isn't it? Let us then with confidence. That word confidence means, I love this. You know what that word confidence literally means? It means boldly, but it means freedom of speech and freedom of expression. See, some of you, you'll come to me and you go, you try to be all, I love it, you'll, you'll be all biblical. Very spiritually high-minded. Pastor, I know I'm not supposed to question God. Show me that in Scripture. Come on, somebody show me that in Scripture. You don't question who He is. Hello? You don't question His holiness. Why can you not say, God, I don't understand? God, God, I don't see what you're doing in this moment. Tell me how. I believe his mama asked him that question. Am I wrong? When Gabriel was telling him that she was going to have a baby, did she not go, uh, hello? (laughs) Never been down that path. (laughs) I know how this thing works. So just tell me how, okay? (laughs) Unlike Zechariah who said, dude, I'm old, it can't happen. God's a big God. He can handle your questions. Just don't question who He is and His holiness. But just to say, God, I I don't... Read David. Read the book of Psalms. In Psalm 56 that I just read, he goes, God, I don't understand what you are doing. And when you come with freedom of expression and freedom of speech, here's what you find. Two things. Mercy. That's not getting what you deserve. And grace. Getting what you don't deserve. And you'll find freedom. You, you guys remember how grandpas used to be? Y'all remember some of them grandpas? I'm sorry, Kim. Not touching the hair. But grandpas used to be like this, man. They'd come up to you and they go, Look at here, what's behind your ear? Look at it, a quarter. I love how it says it. And you will find grace. You will find grace. You'll find it. Because Jesus gives it to you. And He'll give you more grace than you could ever think of. I love Ephesians chapter 3. He's able to do beyond, above anything and everything you could think or ask. There's a lot of people that need grace and mercy. We're to be His vessels. Hello. To get that done. Can I ask you this question? Are you passionate about the things of the Lord? Are you you passionate about that? Anybody that ever asks, you, you know who I am and you know what I'm about. I love to lead people to Jesus and tell them about a Savior, man. I'm praying for a thousand people to be part of this church. A thousand. And I got under conviction this week that that won't enough. And I know some of you are going, I won't know everybody. Well, nor will I. As long as they know Jesus, it'd be all right. What are you passionate about? Have you ever been to the throne of grace? 
Ever been there? Can I tell you what he's doing today? Jesus Christ himself is telling you this. I'm a great high priest. I sit on a great throne. And I want you to get passionate about me. And I want you to come to me. Thanks for listening to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcba.com.